saw the stroller, I got all excited. I know, I thought, I thought we had a morning this. visit. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so the first thing I want to say is that in Hashem, I think next week we will make our seum for Pesuket de Zimra, because I don't go through oh, Pesuket de Zimra. Nice. Just like with Brachos, Brachos HaShachar, we did the set of 15, but we didn't do all the Brachos, so the same thing with Pesuket de Zimra. We've covered the topics of Pesuket de Zimra, but only through Baruch Amr, which introduces us to the process of Pesuket de Zimra, we cover the the concepts of Pesuket de Zimra. Um, so Mirza Hashem, next week will be a seum. Um, no, yeah, and this week our topic is Yachid Che Ha'olamim. Hashem is Yachid, singular or unique or, um, yeah, I guess singular or unique, the only one. Che Ha'olamim, who gives life to the worlds. The one who provides life to the worlds, the only one who provides life to the worlds. So this is an interesting phrase. First of all, it's interesting because it comes up in other places, similar kind of terminology. So learning it in one place, you know, you kind of leverage it and you get a little insight into Barina Fashos, where you also have a similar kind of phrase, right? Um, but it's interesting when you think about, first of all, what's the connection? What is the fact that Hashem is Yachid, right? Hashem Echad. He is one. So Yachid also can mean like... Um, He's, what's the word? Uh, good morning. He's, meaning he's one, not echad, as in one, but yachid, as in like united, sort of? Like, completed. And, uh, not, completed would, would suggest not complete, but yachid would be that he is uh, almost, uh, homogenous is a terrible word, but like, it's, He's not just that he's the only one, and not just that he's unique, but he's also yachid as in yichud, like he's made one. Meaning there could have been an aspect that you would think is not one, but he's yachid, he's united up, like it's tied together, it really, really is one, made one. Um, and... When you say it like that, then I, it's it seems a, multiple. Right, like, right. Like, That's what I'm trying to say, like is that the fact that he's yeah, indivisible, right, from which you hear that it's stated because there might have been a thought differently, right? So we're going to talk about this today. But, right, we say there's a midas hadin, there's a midas harachim, and we, our experience of Hashem is not yachid. Our experience of Hashem is, in fact, that there are various different kinds of relationships, right? So yachid, mm. and we're saying on the one hand, Hashem has all these different relationships with us, and that is what we've been talking about in Baruch Sha'amar. But that's part of that omnipotence. Baruch Sha'amar, right? Baruch Sha'amar so is ten, ten phrases but. of Baruch. No, but yachid means not multifaceted. No, no. Because we have Our experience is that it's a multifaceted like relationship, and yet we're making a statement that he is yachid. He is the one, he is the only, and he is, it's he like is one. It's almost like you a diamond and you it's look not, at the apex, and what Aliza was saying is the facets coming out of it, they all emanate from that one point, and it all comes from Hashem. Right, so that's what we understand it to be. We're going to get to something that's even a deeper kind of yichud. And the reason we're getting there is because Baruch Sha'amar is describing to us, it's a bracha over a mitzvah. The mitzvah is Pesuket de Zimra. 
right? The mitzvah is this process of looking at the world, at the processes of history, at the process of the world and progress in the world, at all the forces of nature. And in looking at the process of human history and the process of the development of nature, getting to a level of Yerushalayim with that, and then Baruch Sha'amar is hinting to us that that's going to bring us to the next stage. Right? We're going to go through a process. We're going to close it with the bracha of Yishtabach, which says basically a very similar thing because, of course, it's closing off the same process. Right? When you end with Yishtabach, you have Melech Kel Chei Ha'olamim. So you have the Chei Ha'olamim part. Hold on, the Yachid comes earlier. It doesn't even have a yachidi. Some people, whatever, okay, I have to, it's the wrong center. Okay, <laughs> anyway. This idea that our psuke de zimra is going to bring us to the yachid, it's going to bring us to a new level of awareness when we can say, Shema Yisrael Hashem Elokeinu Hashem Echad, that Hashem is one. For us to declare it means we have to have a sense of it. We don't just declare it blindly, right? That's never been our way with Amuna. It's always a declaration of something we have a sense of. So one question is this idea of the yachid. How would we get a sense of that? And how would Baruch Sha'amar or Sukkot Zimmer as a whole give us a sense of that as we go along through it? The other is why is it tied to the Chei HaOlamim? Why is Hashem's uniqueness and oneness and wholeness Associated? Why is that? Why is that about him associated with the fact that he is the constant provider of life to the world? Okay. So Rav Schwab defines this phrase as the source of life for all time periods. So he defines the word olamim. You know the word olam, and I know we saw that in this room before um, because we had it with Avram Avinu where Avram describes Hashem, he, he learns from shame to describe Hashem as Kael Elyon, and many places where he builds a Mizbeach and, and calls out in the name of Hashem Kael Elyon. And finally, after Yitzchak is born, he calls out in the name of Hashem Kael Olam. So over there, I, I remember we read it here. We had Rav Hirsch talks about what is the difference, what's the, what's the new level in Avram's teaching about Hashem that's expressed by moving from Kael Elyon to Kael Olam. So over there, he talks about the, the way that Chazal used the word olam to mean the world, but the word olam in Tanakh, in Chumash, means time, right? And we know that it can mean time, right? Like uh, leolam va'ed means forever. It's a time sense of olam, but we don't always use it that way, okay? So... The, that, that is a change in how the word is used, and Rav Hirsch has a way of unifying why Chazal made that change. Okay, that's not today's topic. But r- that means that Rav Schwab is defining olamim, cheha olamim, not as the source of life for all worlds, but the source of life for all time. And olamim in the plural, meaning time periods. Okay, so I'll, let me just give you an example of how the word olam works like that. And I wish I'd known this in high school, because when you learn Navi, you'll get things like Chana brings Shmuel to the Beis HaMikdash, right? And do you know about the story of Chana and Shmuel? 
So he was, she didn't have any children for many years, and she davened for a child at the Mishkan, and Eli gave her a bracha that she should have a child. He was the Kohen Gadol, and sure enough, she comes back not a year later. She, she in fact, had a baby that year, um, but she came back two or three years later when he was weaned, and dedicated him to the Beis HaMikdash, to the service of Hashem. And he grew up in the Mishkan under Eli's supervision, but his mother constantly visited and would bring him, make him clothes and bring them. So it wasn't a lack of love there. It was a sense that having a child was not for her gratification. It was as part of her service of Hashem. So when she commits that she, if she would have a child, she would dedicate him to the service of Hashem his whole life, she says, Olam. She describes it as forever. Now, he's not going to live forever. He's not, right? And in fact, what the Mepharshim say is, because Olam could mean 50 years. And then he lived to be 52. Because she brought him when he was two, and he lived another 50 years. He lived in a full Olam. So this idea of Olam being not just time that goes on and on and on, like Ad Olam, until sort of forever, but that Olam actually means a finite amount of time. In the same way that using it to mean the world means a finite amount of time, a finite amount of space. Okay, there's a certain finiteness to that. So this idea that it's a period of time. So then olamim, when it refers to time, doesn't mean like multiple streams of time in some kind of time travel book. It means like epochs, and they could be any amount, almost. I don't know. I know 50 is one of them because this comes up. Um, Hang on. We just have to get up and walk a little bit. <laughs> back on. Okay. Um, you have the same idea of Adolam. You can have that in, in Chumash. It will say that a, a slave, let's say, right? If, you, if he doesn't want to leave, so you punch the hole in his ear, a Shemitah, right? And then he will be a servant Adolam. Adolam means until the Yovel. It's not forever and ever. It's not even his whole life. Right, so again, that's at a fifty-year period or forty-nine. Right, it's fifty years from absolute beginning to end of the cycle. So, that's also an example of olam meaning a fifty-year period. So that's how Rav Schwab translates it as source of life for all time periods, and that nothing would exist if Hashem did not constantly give it life. Okay, so there's there's a point here as well. You see that with the ring. Yeah, that there's a constant, right? This idea, which we say coming up in the brachos for Shema, right? Hashem renews constantly the act of creation daily. There's, um, when we have the word Chaim, so what if you have Mayim Chaim? First of all, the word Chaim is the noun, but it's a plural. So right away over there, you have this idea that there's, there's a pluralness. It's not one. Life is not a singular. Life is not something that is given once and then that's it. It's it's it. Okay. It's multiple. Oh, chayim, the word chayim life is a multiple because it has to constantly be given more than once. It's ongoing. There's also the aspect of like maim chayim, living waters, right? So a mikvah, kosher mikvah, is made of maim chayim. What are living waters? They're not alive in the sense that. We would think that they have like a soul and they talk, right? It's Mayim Chaim. What makes waters Mayim Chaim is the fact that they come, that they're at their source when they are 
trapped as a mikvah, they're constantly replenished, right? So rainwater, where the rain will keep coming in, right? Or a lake where the, that's fed by, let's say, a stream. And I think there's halachos about this. You have to have water coming in, you have to have water going out, right? This mayim chayim, a well can be mayim chayim if the water keeps coming into it. So the, if there's new groundwater always swelling into it, that could be also mayim chayim. Once it's trapped, it stops being that. So with the mikvah, you can trap it there, and you've trapped the mayim chayim, and it's a kosher mikvah. But if you would then like transfer it or something, you, you've lost it. The, the enclosing of it so that it no longer has a source that keeps feeding into it stops it, cuts it off from being mayim chayim, which then working backward tells us something about life. Because the word chayim is used, understood to mean that there's a constantly flowing source of replenishment into it. Okay? That's what chayim means in people as well, in life in general, is that there is a constant flow, like of water, coming into us of life force that Hashem is giving us. And that has to keep on flowing, just like the Mayim Chaim, where the water has to keep on flowing. So again, Rav Schwab says, source of life for all time periods. Nothing would exist if HaKadosh Baruch Hu would not constantly give it life. This is Yachid Chei HaOlamim. Giving life at all times on an ongoing basis. It's a constant basis. Okay. I saw... I saw a nice statement in Ha'aras Hatzvila. He says, Yochid Ha'olamim. So Yochid is singular, and Ha'olamim is this the source of life. He says, Hashem is the, the center point that everything else depends on in creation. That it's Hashem's will that constantly creates and provides life. So if one would picture, and, and let's say for good reasons that we won't use as today's topic, if you imagine a black hole, right, and it sucks everything into it, but you could have the opposite. There's names for these things. I don't know what they are, right? So if you had, instead at the center of something sucking in, if at the center point it's giving out energy, Right? then everything is circling around the center point, which is giving life and providing all the matter around it. That's this image that he creates of Yachid Chei HaOlamim, being the source of life for all. He says, and Chai, Chei HaOlamim, hints to the 18 brachos of Shemona Esrei. Remember, we talked about the idea of 18. We talked about this with 18 brachos of Birchos HaShachar that 18 is like an armature, it's like the skeleton, right? It's the, the 18 vertebra of the spine. And from that, everything else depends on it. That's what holds the whole thing together. That's the center, that's where all the nerves flow through there, right? Everything flows through from this one and then is delivered and gives life to everything else. This is, that's kind of the hint together with that. Now, where I wanna go is to understand a little bit better about this connection, first of all, about life, this Hashem is the source of life, what life means, why the word yachid would be something that we could say, that we would have a hint of so that we could mention it with regard to Hashem as the source of all life, and 
let's say further, an element of life which is, there's an implication here. If Chaim has to be constantly replenished, so there's a freshness, there's a certain new, there's something very delightful about that and not stagnant. But hand in hand with not being stagnant and with always being changed and always being something new coming in is a tremendous vulnerability. There's a tremendous lack and, and, and neediness of that. If you always need to have more coming in, right? If you can't get up in the morning unless Hashem pours energy into you, forget get up in the morning. You can't continue from minute to minute. So that means we are very, very needy. So the description of life is both exciting and energetic and exposes our neediness. And, and those are the same thing. It's not even two sides of a coin. The fact that we need to be provided for is also the fact that we have a constant rejuvenation. It's both. Okay, and again, hat, seeing that, then what is the connection with the concept of recognizing Hashem as Yachid? So this is where we're going to come to, to the handout. So I'm going to start with a mission in Avos that we discussed at great length at the beginning of Baruch Sha'amar, because Baruch Sha'amar has 10 statements of Baruch, right? Describing Hashem, Hashem's creation of the world at 10 levels. Baruch Sha'amar v'haya ha'olam. Baruch Omer Vaose, Baruch Osev Voracious, Baruch Marach, right? Those 10 of those, which we associate with the unfolding of the process of creation. And this we learned from this mission. Avos Ba'asara Ma'amaros Never Ha'olam, with 10 statements the world was created. Why does the Torah teach us about the creation of the world, describing it as a process of 10 statements? Couldn't Hashem have, not couldn't, Hashem certainly could have created the world with one statement. That would be like kind of an obvious, like you wouldn't have such a question. If you said, and that was including everything. I mean, it was including everything, but if that was the whole thing, and then it was all description, then we wouldn't really have a question. But why 10? Why does it have these 10 layers? And the, and the Gemara goes on. It's a very cryptic statement. We talked about it in another shir. A sort of cryptic explanation because then the Rishaim will be punished for destroying a world created with 10 degrees of creation, with 10 statements, and the righteous people will be rewarded for upholding a world created with 10 statements. Okay, so now we're going to be reading, I, I typed in here, um, a couple of passages from Rav Hirsch's 19 Letters. If you haven't read Rav Hirsch's 19 Letters, I cannot recommend it enough. It is really the, it's a small book. It's not like trying to read Chorev, which is also like many, many different sections. Um, there are newer translations. So it's called 19 Letters. The 19 Letters. The 19 Letters. Yes, you can just get it on Amazon even. They have it. There's the newer versions that were put out that have, the book is fatter because they're heavily footnoted. On the other hand, the translation is a little more modernized. But honestly, it's all poetry. I, I'm very partial to the old one. But, okay. Yeah, but the 19 letters is a much, is a very, it's a small book. I actually, I think that um, he wrote the 19 letters at the request of his publisher. He wanted to publish Chorev. And they said they didn't think there was a market because, you know, it was already the beginning of the Haskalah. 
and he they didn't think anybody would want to read. It was a bestseller in Germany in the end, but they didn't think people would want to read about Jewish thought. So as a test, he did the 19 letters. It was like a, a slimmer, almost like a pamphlet. It was like a little thin book. And the point of it was to kind of distill the basic principles of what he would discuss at great length at Chorev. And then they could see if anyone would buy this little book. And if they would, then the publisher agreed that they would publish the larger work. Mm -hmm. So that's what he did. So the 19 letters is great because it's also kind of, in, in very brief, encompasses the basic principles that he wanted to, wanted to cover in his larger work, but it's a manageable size. And this is from the third letter. And I confess that I, whenever I pick up the 19 letters, um, I very rarely get past the third letter because I get so swept off my feet by the third letter that I keep reading it again or I stop. But I have read past it, but I often get stuck at it. Okay, so I did not bring the whole letter, but this is a little snippet that is particularly relevant to what we're learning. This then is how the Torah guides us to an understanding of Yisrael and its task. Now, I just want to remind you, it's Baruch Sha'amar. So what are we looking at? We're looking at the course of human events. We're looking in particular at the history of the Jewish people and how that has unfolded. We're looking at the forces of nature, right? That's climate, that's topology, geography, water sources, right? We talked about how all of those shape, they shape also human history, right? All of the forces of mazel, any, all these things which are enormous mm. forces that shape human history, generally speaking on the macro scale, on a national level. It's not so much focused on the individual, although you do come to that by the end, right? right? But there's this kind of kol even there. It's a, it is a kind of a global thing. So this is how the Torah guides us to an understanding of Yisrael and its task. And if we would understand this, then we would have a better grip of Baruch Sha'amar and Pesuket Dezimra as a whole, because that's the same kind of general thing we're doing. Through recognition of God, the world, and the purpose of man and of history. The Torah summons us to view heaven and earth and says to us, from heaven to earth, from earth to heaven, whatever you see in existence came to be when Bereshis bar Elohim. At its beginning, God as creator brought it into being. He spoke vayehi and it came into being. Okay, I, vayehi is the pronunciation based on the Pasuk, I assume he was quoting, okay, hu amar vayehi. That's how this, the emphasis is on the end there. Now, look at this entire host of creations. By the way, in different places, he stops and quotes large passages of Tehillim that we would say, you know, like what we say in Pesuket de Zimra, this kind of like, look at the stars in the heavens, look at the... Right. Now, look at this entire host of creations, how, though greatly differing from each other in their properties and purpose, they have been linked in one great harmonious system, each one functioning in its particular place, in its time, using the resources apportioned to it, none functioning at cross-purposes to the others, but rather each supporting the whole and the whole supporting each one. Who then mediates between the opposites and unites the myriads into one? God divided between the light and the darkness. And he's saying that it is the self-same one alone who stands as conciliator between light and darkness, life and death. In other words, making a distinction between things is also a way of bridging them. Because you distinguish what is different, you identify what is the same, and you hold them together at that point of distinction. But through the act of distinguishing, right, Yom and Laila are connected by the fact that we distinguish between night and day. Thus, his love 
provides matter and energy for the world to function, while his justice sets limits, goals, and boundaries. I mean, that is the whole, right, introduction to Psyche Zimra. Chesed and now Gevura. And what was this whole idea of Gevura? For don't you understand it, our sages tell us? It was not with just one word, one summons of creation, that the Almighty brought this world into being, the whole of it and every detail. For if it had been created in this manner, everything would be directly dependent on God's word for its existence, life, and functioning. That's like... Okay. What did Reverse just say? He said God created the world with his statement of it shall be. And then it unfolds in ten stages of creation. I, you know, you hate to word, use the word evolution, but that's what the word really is supposed to be about, is the changing process, because the world, olam hazeh, is a world of change, right? Not, not staying the mm. same. The next world, infinity, can stay the same. That which is finite, by definition, has some kind of change involved. That's kind of the distilled point of Chaim needing constant replenishment, okay? So if everything in the world had been created straight from the, the single word Vayomer in one shot, not in six days of creation, not in ten stages of creation, then there would be no process of unfolding and developing, now, why would that matter? The, if He said, what does it mean when Chazal say, why wasn't the world just created with one statement? He says, because he explains that Chazal to teach us. He says, what that Chazal is telling us, what our sages are telling us is, that their question is, why wasn't the world created fully formed and perfect? Why was the world created so that it has to evolve in ten stages? Why is it a process? Isn't that awesome? Like, that is what Chazal say, but like, did I know that? No, I really didn't get that. It went right past me. There's no way I could have caught that on my own. What does that mean? Hashem created the world not so that there's a creation and then everything is all there and fully formed. Instead, he called his world into existence in ten stages. He, i.e., he created an abundance of forces intermingled and functioning closely together according to his word and then he separated them so that each had to sustain the other. There was light and there was darkness now. There's multiple forces and they shape the development of the world and each other. God did not create the world with a single force of speech. Well, he did, but he did it in 10 stages instead of all in one shot. And what 10 stages means is that there is a process of creation and of these forces acting upon one another and on the matter of creation so that the creation of the world is a process. But also creates stability. That Maybe. Forces yes. Know. Yeah, I mean, it's less stable than if it was all in one united. Right. right? What he's done is he's created these forces that ebb and flow and they have to lean against each other so you know when you build a house out of like playing cards you lean them against each other and you get the stability you can get something very stable if they lean upon each other okay that's how god created the world 
so that the forces have to work together. This, again, is it's something that is, it hints in toward the idea of kol, all, which is the number 50, tied to olam, right? The idea of good and bad, it includes death, it includes the things we experience as negative. Shlemus, shalom, Rabbi Lef defines shalom as the harmonious balance of competing forces. It's not, shalom is not getting everyone on the same page and the same. You don't have shalom when everyone is the same, little clones. When you have shalom is when you have people who are different and with different drives and different motivation, and yet they can all work together toward a common cause and contribute their different strengths together. Then you get, that's what's called shlemus. Okay. So he created them intermingled and functioning closely together according to his word, and then he separated them, right? God separated between the light and the dark so that each had to sustain the other. None was henceforth able to exist and function by itself. Okay, so the fact that the things are going to be defined and separated means that they're being defined in part by how they are different from something else. So things are existing, reliant on the existence of other forces as well. They had to be sustained by other fellow creatures and in turn had to help them exist and function. In this way, everything contributes according to its strength, however much or little, to the existence of the whole. And if it destroys a fellow creature, it robs itself of what it needs for its own existence. If somehow the light could put out the dark, it would be putting out something it requires for itself. He uses this principle, not here, but this is the foundational principle of true love in terms of loving others. If you want to have a haftal recha kamocha, he says, it's not enough to say, I'll let him have what's his and I'll have what's mine. I, I have to look at somebody else as necessary for my own happiness and success. I have to see other people and their success as necessary. Otherwise, I can't survive. That's this. If it destroys a fellow creature, it robs itself of what it needs for its own existence. We need each other. Not just like, we actually need each other. All of us in creation, which is not only human beings, actually need each other to survive. Thus, and now I took out, he gives five examples or something over here. He gives quite a lot of examples. I just left the last one. Thus, the seed after germination in the ground is taken from the earth to become the ripened fruit so that the earth will have to receive again in order to give again. When you plant a seed and it pops open and it sprouts, the seed itself now is lost. So it can't just keep on growing. The earth has to receive in order to give again. Does this sound familiar to what we're saying about Mayim Chaim and the constant need to have it flowing in? This reminds us of the Be'er, right? A well of water instead of a bore a cistern of water, where water flows in and thus water can flow out, right? A person has to themselves be a bear. That means you gotta receive in order to give. Thus, one immense bond of love, of receiving and giving, unites all beings. None exists by itself and for itself. There is a constant striving of each creature with, through, and for the others on behalf of the whole and of the whole on behalf of every creature. Everything receives strength and resources 
not for itself as such, but merely in order to give, to give and thereby to attain fulfillment of the purpose of its existence. Hey stands for love, say our sages, love sustained and sustaining. Okay, so the Chachamim say, and the hey is small. Also, you read that as with a hey they were created. We've come across this many times. This world is created with the letter hey. Right? So we have about Shuva, Rashi brings over there. It's open at the bottom, but it's also open at the top to return. He brings a different lesson from that Chazal that the Chachamim say that the letter hey is a letter of love, Ahava, love sustained and sustaining. That already told you something, right? The letter hey has two openings. It receives and gives. That's the image of love. The image of real love is the image of giving. Real giving requires real receiving too. Or you don't have anything to give. That's the vulnerability of the rejuvenation. The fact that we are constantly flowing and moving and changing is is the fact that we are incomplete and absolutely at the mercy of being provided for. This characterizes the creation of the earth. Everything in it whispers to you love. Okay, so that whisper is that we look through Psuche de Zimra, this process of looking at Power, the powerful forces, things that cause us awe, that bring us up with our Yerushalayim, right? The tidal waves, the earthquakes, the tornadoes, the floods, the wars, the, the missiles, the famines, okay? We look at these things and they terrify us. And that's step one, is understanding the, the, the hugeness of those powers and Hashem controlling all of that. And then to understand that under that big noise, kol Hashem bakoach, kol Hashem behadar, kol Hashem shover arazim, it shatters the cedars. And in the end, there's that, right, with, with um, Eliyahu Hanavi, kol damamadaka, there is a quiet voice whispering. That voice whispers to you love. In all of those earth-shattering noises, there's a whisper underneath it that says, so why is it like that? What is all this, all this vulnerability, all this, the, the gavura and the boundaries and the, the, the places where you can't get past there. All of that is actually whispering love. This is about giving, yeah, yeah. It's limited because it needs somebody else or something else to provide. Everything's leaning on each other. Okay. And this, this is really, if you think about that, you have a whole new meaning now when you say bari nefashos. Because listen to what, I don't know if you ever thought about what this bracha means. Baruch Hashem Elokeinu Melech HaOlam, Bori Nefashos Rabos. You've created many, a multitude of souls, or of creations. Okay, so right there, what's with the many? Yeah, because they're all different. <laughs> That's it. They're all these different things. The Ches Ronan, and made all of them lacking. God creates all these different people, all these different souls, and everyone is missing something. Nobody is all whole. Al Koma Shabara. 
everything that you've created, to give life to them. Because that is Hashem's constant giving, that constant flow of life, which we experience in our food. If we don't eat, we're out of here. Okay, That alone is enough to remind us on a constant basis that we are not just standing on our own two feet. We have need. We need, to, we need provision. The souls of all that live. That is the definition. That's Baruch Olamim, which is that same term that we just had, Yachid Olamim. Okay? Now, but it doesn't have the term Yachid over here. This has helped us to understand about the Chei Olamim. So how about the Yachid? So for this, I did not, um, didn't type it in. Because we still have this question, so the Baruch HaOlamim really addresses the multitude of forces, the multitude of powers, the, the multifaceted relationship with Hashem. Sometimes we see Rachman, sometimes we see Din, we see Chesed, we see Glura, we see Tiferet, we see all these different aspects. That really seems addressed more by the Chei HaOlamim than the Yachid part. So I want to share with you from Parsha's Kisisa, also Rav Hirsch, A, because it's awesome and I happen to know it from here, yeah. and B, because it ties together with the first part of what he said. Sorry. So in Parsha's Kisisa, after the Chet Egel, Moshe asks for forgiveness for the people, and Hashem says, you know, okay, and Moshe says, Hareini nakvodecha, show me your honor, your glory. And what is the question that Moshe is asking? And we learn, Rashi brings, I think, also there from Chazal. He's saying, why is it Sadik Veralo Rasha Vitovo? How can it be that sometimes good pe- bad things happen to good people and good things happen to bad people? In other words, Harini Nakodecha, show me your honor, show me your glory because I can't see it. Meaning, if everyone who was good and loyal to Hashem and followed the mitzvot had things good happen to him, only that which we would know to be good happened to him, then that would be an honor to God. Because we would understand that like, what God says is what matters. And if bad people who don't listen to Hashem or don't respect Hashem would, not ha- would have bad things happen to them, that would reinforce that covet of Shemayim. So he's saying, I can't see Kavod Shamayim. Why? Because Tzadik Veralo, Rosh Tovlo. But the truth is that I think, it's, I think it's a Gemara. The Gemara actually brings all four combinations. I think sometimes you have Tzadik Vitovlo, sometimes you have Tzadik Veralo, sometimes you have Rosh Veralo and Rosh Tovlo. You could have all four combinations. The ones that bother us are Tzadik Veralo, Rosh Tovlo. But the truth is you can have all four. So why? It, doesn't, it's, it does a disservice when we only quote the disturbing part. It does God a disservice because what we suggest to our children and maybe to ourselves is bad things happen to good people and good things happen to bad people and that's just the way it is. Or in this world, but it sorts out in the next world or whatever it is, right? We shouldn't leave out. Moshe's question was really that there's all four quadrants. Also, good things happen to good people. Also, bad things happen to bad people. The story is not always just twisted and mixed up. Okay, so that's his question. And Hashem says... 
you cannot see, and there's different ways of explaining this, you cannot see straight on my kavod. Because a human being cannot see me and live. It's interesting, right? Already there, we got that same term going. In other words, so long as you are alive and in this process, you're inside of the stream, you can't see the truth of what's happening, of what I'm doing here. But the suggestion is that once you're past that, you will see. You could see. But for now, you can't. Okay. So Rav Hirsch now explains. I will make... So, and then Hashem says, but if you stay here by me, I will protect you. I'll place my hand over you. So you, sort of you can't see everything, but you'll get a glimpse. And Hashem then reveals to him what we call the 13 Midos Arachamim. Hashem, Hashem, Kel Rachum Vechanun. Right, that we say on the Yamun Noraim. Okay, I will make the whole diversity of my uniform goodness pass before you. Because that's the real question he's asking. How is it that there's a diversity of your relationship with people? And yet, you are united. That's the question. How is it Kvodecha, your glory, your oneness. And yet I see Tzadik Veralo, Rasha Vitovlo, Tzadik Vitovlo. I see so many different expressions of what you give. I will make the whole diversity of my uniform goodness pass before you and bring to your understanding every nuance of this diversity by a special name of God. In other words, why is he revealing himself as Hashem, Hashem, Keo, Rachum, Vechanun, Er? Why so many names? Because he's revealing... Him, something about himself and it's a diversity of his oneness because they're all different names because it's a diversity okay let me just skip ahead here my one uniform goodness manifests itself diversely as Hanina, Rachamim, etc, etc but how even the same manifestation has again diverse shades of difference according to the different individuality of the receivers he says, you know why Tzadik Viralo Rasha Vitovlo? He says, it is what you just said, Moshe. It's not that something changed in me, Hashem. What's different is the people. Are they Tzadik? Are they Russia? And there's an infinite number of ways in which people are Tzadik in Russia. He says, what changes is not me, it's them. It's not God's capacity to give that changes. It's man's capacity to receive. But let me keep going with it because that just sounds like an answer that didn't answer it exactly. You are to learn how specified and individual my guiding care is. It is just this specialized individual application of God's goodness that God's chain works differently according to Esasher Yichon, the one to whom he is granting chain. His rachamim, according to Esasher Yerachim, this is the verses that are over here. God's rachamim is in accordance with the one upon whom he showers his mercy, <coughs> which escapes the insight of mortals who can only realize the general trend of conditions, but to which the true nature of any individual remains a closed secret. Do any of us really understand, Gesundheit, the full... Do we fully understand any other person? Do we fully understand ourselves, let alone any other person? We don't. 
we can see the general trend. This one's a tzaddik, this one's a rasha. But we can't see the whole inner workings. We can't see what the, the conscious and the unconscious thoughts and flow of thoughts is. We can't see where the person's coming from and where they're headed. We can't see what is a punishment and what is a guiding towards growth. We can't see what the person, how they, we don't even see all the things that are on the outside of them that are expressed because we don't see each other every single waking minute. Okay, because of that, because the true nature of any individual is a closed secret to us, that is why we err so easily in judging the ways of God. Because we don't know the story. We forget that where to our judgment it seems Tzadik Viralo or Rasha Vitovlo, we can not only be mistaken in our estimation of Tzadik Virasha, but certainly lack the ability to be certain in any given case to state with any certainty what is Rallo or Tovlo. Did we ever think we might be wrong in understanding what's good or bad for somebody else? <laughs> <coughs> Only the deepest insight into the true nature of any individual can be sure what in real truth is Sadik or Rasha, Tov or Ra. Okay. Now I'm skipping a different section of the same Parsha. What Moshe actually saw remains unknown to us, but the words, the names by which, by which that which he saw was explained to him are here, they're taught to us in the Torah. Those we can try stammeringly to follow and attempt to understand something from them. That's as much as we could do. The manifold variety, why is Hashem's interaction with us manifold, multifaceted, like you said? The manifold variety is brought about by God having given man the freedom of will and hence his ability to err. Okay, do you understand how all of these things, the, the Hashem's revelation of his unity as a multifaceted experience, creation of the world as a multi-level process, all of these are about process and development. All of them. It's all about process and development and giving. That is the message. When something is incomplete, when something is not perfectly whole, then it is finite. And finite is a limitation and a vulnerability and a neediness. And finite is an opportunity to grow. Without it, you cannot grow. Okay. So this is all brought about by God having given man freedom of will, hence his ability to err, and the possibility of his losing his way and his defection in every possible degree in any given phase of the development of the individual and mankind in general. Hashem remains Hashem, ruling the world for the education of men and mankind up to the ultimate solution of the problem of happiness in the future. The name gives us a conception, a thought, in light of which Kol Tuvo, the universal goodness of his ruling for men and his work for mankind, can be presented to us. In other words, someday there will be the revelation that Hashem Echad Ushmo Echad, Bayom Hahu Yiyeh Hashem Echad Ushmo Echad, in the future, it comes to that perfected state that God could have created the world as. And he didn't. He created it as a process of getting to perfection because it is not the same something created perfect and something made perfect. Those are not the same because one has the effort and the desire and the will. It has the love put into making it that way. That is the concept of the place where Balchuva stands, even at Tzadik Gamur can't stand. At Tzadik Gamur, who has always been this fully formed person, 
is an amazing thing. But a person who has corrected himself into righteousness is somewhere higher because of the process. Okay. So, I just want to conclude tying this back with Rabbi Akiva and the Omer, right? Rabbi Akiva compares the beginning of learning to being like a bore, right? A cistern where you can pull water out of it, but it will get used up. You become a bore. You fill it with water. You can take out water. But when you continue learning Torah, the process and going on, then you get the Mayim Chayim. You get the constant flow and constant replenishment. You, the goal is to get to the point where a person becomes a Talmud Chacham and the Talmidim come and learn from them. That's called Yetzei Mayanos Chutzah. I forget exactly how the phrase goes. Right? That your wellsprings gush forth. This is the goal of life, is to become this kind of giver. Being that kind of giver means somehow putting ourselves in that channel where it's flowing into us so that it can flow out of us. And this is the process. This is what life is. This is what the process of history is. This is what, and, and this, I think, helps us tie together why is it yachid chayhaolamim? God is one and only and singular. And yet he is the one, and, and that is who is providing for the chay ha'olamim, this fractured, multifaceted, different-angled life of this world. It all really flows. Everything whispers in it to you, love. It's actually all one. It, there may be that love, and then we see it as gevura, and we see it as teferis, and netzach, and hod, but it's actually all love. And this process is part of that love to allow us to be a share in it so that what the world becomes perfected to is something that the world itself participated in becoming. Okay, so next week in Mirza Hashem will be our Siyom Baruch Hashem and then we will start learning about Shema. <laughs> so exciting. Thank you. Yeah, thank you. Oh, no. I don't think we we didn't bring any cats. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know if anyone else has allergic to anything. I'm allergic to cats.